As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, Harm, another road trip to forget for the Vancouver Canucks, followed by an even more disappointing 6-1 loss at home to the Detroit Red Wings. The Wings went back-to-back, and in the last five games for the Vancouver Canucks, they've given up at least five goals in four of those, including six. Detroit made it look easy, and I know we're at the stage now where we know this team is not going to make the playoffs, so for the most part, we do try to take a 10,000-foot a view over the situation surrounding the Canucks, but you can't not start with what we saw last night. Yeah, and it's funny because despite being down for uh, after two periods, their effort was at least... Y- you could live with it, you know what I mean? And throughout this road trip, and ever since Talkett has come over... The only stinker they really had was that Seattle game. And then the third period happened. It was as if Connor Bedard walked into, into the dressing room in the, in the second intermission. Wow. It was like, guys, come on, keep your eyes on the prize here. The way that they came out, it's like they completely checked out. And I don't know, I just haven't seen a period like that under Talkie yet. It was as if they kind of, and they've had these stretches throughout Earlier in the season under Boudreaux, they even had them, obviously, the, the season before that under Green, where 10, 15-minute patches where they, just, where they just completely fall asleep at the wheel. And you have all these cross-seam passes. The line change, I believe, on the fifth goal was brutal. Mm-hmm. Like, legitimately, I, I'm astounded that that happened because for that one, there's not even an excuse for it. Like, what? There's no way you would have thought that that puck is getting deep. It was barely rolling to center ice and you just completely leave your goaltender out to dry. So I like that Rick Tockett was really harsh in, in the post game uh, press conference because all of that criticism was, uh, was warranted. Yeah, it really was like, what well, take us through what was said. Um, you know, and I'm sure most kind of fans have already seen it, but it's, you know, he's not afraid to be 
to be harsh. I think, he, you know, truthfully, I think Bruce Boudreau and Travis Green, even before him, like, you know, when things were bad, especially defensively, they weren't afraid to talk about it. Um, the penalty kill continues to be a train wreck. And I'm trying to wrap my head around how I should assess Colin Delia because he's not a legitimate NHL starting goaltender. And we know this. And that's not a criticism. He is who he is. No one's professed him to be more than that. But there were some awful goals, some terrible rebound control. But at the same time, the coverage down low and in, in, in all areas of play in their own end, it looked like any gains they've made under Rick Tockett were completely undone in that third period. Because you're right, the first two periods, they were unfortunate to be where they were on the scoreboard. Like if you look at the shots and the chances and just their process, it was reasonable. But they were, they were at the bottom end of the, you know, they were well behind going into the third period and it looked like they quit. I hate to say it, but that's what it looked like. The other difference was through the first periods, and this was a little bit different compared to the road trip as well. Even in that stretch where, they're, where they were playing pretty competently and they had a decent amount of possession, this game was a little bit different in that they couldn't create a lot offensively at least on the inside, right? Like I know they got their shots. I know by the uh, by the expected goal models and, and whatever that things looked pretty close. But when you consider the pace, which chances were kind of off the rush, the pre-shot movement, I didn't feel as if they really ma- really sort of forced Huso to, to make tough enough saves, especially relative to some of the chances that, uh, that, that the Red Wings were getting even in the first couple of frames. And then, yeah, I mean, to go to go back to what you were kind of mentioning in terms of what what Taki said after the game, kind of just saying you have to go back to grade grade school in terms of walking through the through our defensive approach. He doesn't have time for his stick slams anymore. I think all of Reckman Larson had uh, had a notable one in the third period. One thing I, I am curious to to get your thoughts on Farhan. Were you surprised that they practiced on? Sunday coming back from that road trip. Now I yeah, know the- I was, and I know that practice time has been so limited for this team. Um, you know, they, they had one practice on the road after the all-star break before they started that road trip uh, in Jersey. And like, I get it from a coaching standpoint, you know, you're, you're frustrated, not just at the performance, but just at the lack of ability you've got to teach and to implement systems. But sometimes less is more. And I certainly was surprised to see Sunday happen. Yeah, I can understand it from the coach's perspective where I've been on that New York trip last year and they're they're obviously playing the Islanders, Rangers, Devils. That's all in that sort of Manhattan. Um like you like when I was there, I just stayed in Manhattan the whole time and would would commute out. So there's not not as many flights and of course the Saturday game was uh was an early start 12 uh 12 p.m. Eastern time. But even then you get back home Saturday after that kind of road trip four games just coming back from the from the All-Star break. I would have expected nine, 10 times out of 10 that you you have that day off. And I wonder if that sort of affected them at all in terms of their um, their fatigue or, or energy levels going into the third. But even with that in mind, th- that third period was still inexcusable. Yeah, there's, there's no way around it. And when you look at the type of plays and you outlined that, it, outlined it in your first comments, I don't know how you fix it, right? Like, how do you make veteran players better decision makers? 
right? Because we're not talking about just get to your spots, right? Which was, remember the first game that Talk had played and they won and they played well and you could just see that, okay, they they were playing a poor opponent, but they were able to get to their spots and they had a sense of, okay, even in a short period of time, we're trying to understand the structure this coach wants. But this isn't about that. This is what happens when you have the puck in many cases? What happens when you, what decision do you make in your own end when you choose to go here versus there? And I don't know, like, I mean, these are veteran players making these mistakes. And we've talked about puck management and decision-making and all of this. We've talked about it going back to Travis Green. And these guys are who they are. Like, how does this get better? Yeah, I, I do think overall, big picture, since Talkit has taken over, they've improved in terms of their puck management, especially at the offensive blue line, which is one of the areas where I think as a coach, you not that you necessarily have a lot of control over it, but you can sort of preach your philosophy a bit more. But in the defensive end, I mean, there's there's no doubt that especially when you're relying on all, all, all of Reckman Larson to sort of defend the rush, for example, you, there's nothing you can do as a coach that can help him keep up with Dylan Larkin, right? There's uh, there's nothing you can do in uh, in the in the defensive end with JT Miller's with JT Miller as a center, who, by the way, overall has played pretty well since his minutes have been cut down a bit. But there's not a lot you can do in terms of teaching him the instinctual reads and having that innate awareness to immediately know where the most dangerous threat in, in, in the slot is and be able to sort of pick that up. Because, yeah, effort-wise, you can demand more. And I think we've seen better effort from Miller overall. But, you know, there, there were another couple examples uh, last night from him defensively where it just wasn't uh, wasn't good enough. And, and a lot of guys, it wasn't uh, it, it just wasn't up to par. You you, you look in, and I've made this point a number of times as well. Actually, before before even bringing those points up. I thought it was really interesting. Talk is having to lean on Riley Stillman and Tyler Myers as his matchup pair. Like wow. that at home ice. Like, was, think about that. Yeah, like they went up against Dylan Larkin. For I believe seven minutes of five and five time, the most of any Canucks defenseman. So, look, if you're a head coach, and I'm sure talk, it would have looked at it like, okay, I've got Hughes and he's playing pretty well with Bear, but I want these guys to cook offensively. Don't necessarily want them uh, defending in their own end, especially as a couple of uh, smaller bodies who aren't great at stopping the cycle and boxing out in front of the net. So I want to free those guys up offensively. Then he's thinking, oh yeah, Shen, those guys just aren't going to be able to hang with uh, with Larkin on a consistent enough basis speed-wise. And then, so he goes, all right, I guess I have to go with Riley Stillman and Tyler Myers, right? So what else are you expecting when you when you have to roll with Stillman and Myers, Myers against uh, Dylan Larkin when he's playing that dominantly? Yeah, and he was good. There's no doubt. Um, but like I said, it, like just not a lot of favorable decisions, right? Like there's just no perfect solution for Rick Tockett in these matchup situations. There just isn't, right? I mean, every pair that you could potentially create has flaws. And certainly Stillman Myers, uh, you know, we don't have to think too hard to, to know where those flaws are going to lie. I mean, Stillman, you know, I still question when he's in the lineup on a nightly basis as, as consistent of a run as he's had. Uh, I don't know what they've seen, regardless of coach, to make that decision. And, and you know, and Myers just shouldn't ever play matchup minutes. We just know this. Um I want to ask you about goaltending. And look, again, as I said right off the bat, like how do you assess what you saw last night in that regard? Because we know what Colin Delia is. 
Uh, we've just seen Spencer Martin get put on waivers uh, for the purpose of being sent down to the minors. Um, you know, and, and Thatcher Demko is coming. So before we get to Demko, just how much of what we saw last night was bad goaltending? I think a decent chunk of it absolutely was. In like fact, at least I half think, the goals, no? Oh, 100%. And bad goaltending, since Tockett has taken over, has really sort of been the biggest driver, I think, of the results in terms of them not uh, not picking up a lot of wins. I think earlier in the season, we, we would have this conversation when Demko was really struggling, for example, and we'd say, yeah, the goaltending's not good enough. It's been letting them down. It's been below average. But we still kept pointing to the club's defensive form. But when you look at how this club has fared at 5-on-5 five five under talking, you look at the metrics in terms of how they've been controlling play handily above 50% 50 across the board. There's been a significant jump in how they've uh, been able to drive play up the ice, spend more time in the offensive zone, spend less time in their own end, transition the puck up a little bit faster, cut down on the offensive uh, blue line turnovers, not allow as much off the rush. They've genuinely been playing better last game notwithstanding. And I think the goaltending in that time between Deli and Martin has continued to regress. I mean, how many games did Spencer Martin lose in a row before he was eventually waived? So no doubt in my mind that that's been the biggest reason why they've been, you know, they've had a, a pretty crappy record overall since talking has taken over, which is great. It's exactly what this team kind of needs in this uh, in this tank race. Yeah, it's so interesting because you look at a year ago and how much goaltending kept them above water and they won games they shouldn't have. They've actually lost games they shouldn't have, regardless of what yep. we want to say about their defensive structure and decision-making and puck management. They have lost games because of goaltending from the start of the season to now. Whether Demko's been in net, whether Martin's been in net, whether Delhi has been in net, they have lost games because of goaltending. So how do you size it up? Because we, you know, we looked at it last year and said, look, they're not this good, right? Like just the fact that they're into this in April, they're not this good. So are they this bad? I don't think they're, th they're this bad, especially if you in the offseason or in the summer start to start making improvements, especially when you have Demko not only underperforming for such such a substantial part, but then obviously for 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 a couple months now, if not longer, out and uh, and not able not not in lineup period, right? And this is a point. This is a point where we've seen with uh, Martin and Dealey, the biggest thing that's kind of stood out is the bad rebounds. Oh right? yeah, it's one thing to not be able to control pucks, but at least be able to sort of like steer them into corners. There have been a lot, a lot of goals against where. They make the initial stop and it's sitting right in front of the blue paint, just begging to be buried home on the rebound. And of course, look, that's where the Canucks' down low coverage in terms of clearing out rebounds are not giving their goaltenders a lot of help. But those rebounds shouldn't, a lot of those rebounds shouldn't be in those positions in the first place at all. No, no doubt about it. And even to your point, you mentioned that the Canucks have had games this season where the goaltending is the reason they've lost, they've, that they've probably deserved a better fate. I'm struggling to think of many instances where we've, where we've even seen the opposite, where we've gone, boy, the Canucks really had a stinker stinker tonight, but man, they were lucky with good goaltending. Like They haven't even had any, any games that stick out to me where it's been like they've had a, a D-grade sort of performance in front of the netminers, and it's like the goalie steal one for them. Yeah, even when Spencer Martin was getting his wins and Demko wasn't, he was getting a ton of goal support 
uh, in those games. And, you know, sometimes you're getting it now, sometimes you're not. They're certainly putting a lot of pressure on Vancouver's offense. The, spe- the special teams last night, another broken record, along with goaltending and defensive structure and things we've talked about all season. Detroit, one for one on the power play. Um, the Canucks, 0 for 6. And so much so that even mild-mannered Jeff Patterson drops a killer effing penalty, but the full version of effing. Um, see what they've done to J-Pat? Like, it's, that, that's got to, you know... A mild-mannered guy like that dropping F-bombs on Twitter in the middle of a game because even he's incredulous. Like, what are we seeing here? It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, honestly, that J-Pat F-bomb was the highlight of of the game for me. It was. Between that that and the three keys to turning the Canucks around, essentially (laughs) boiling down to add a defenseman, and then immediately after that second intermission to have the Red Wings just completely dunk all over the Canucks, and them looking completely out of sorts. That was that was theater. Those those two parts were by far the most entertaining. Um, thanks to uh, thanks to following the game, following the game. But yeah, I mean, you look at that PK example where Miller, and, and you see this a lot of times when he has turnovers. Just just in general. And again, I don't want to pick on him too much because again, I actually think he's played pretty well at center overall since Tockett has uh, has taken over and even last night yes his defensive game was really bad but it, it it was at least encouraging to even see him continue to create a lot offensively even though his line mates weren't bearing chances because earlier in the season when he'd play center it was a case of not only was the defense horrific but he wasn't generating any even strength offense either so don't want to pick on him too much but yeah i mean on that goal he's able to collect the puck behind the net and instead of trying to rim it out right away he he tries to hang on to it for a split second longer and make more of a control play to find the open ice uh, to then get the clearance, which I'm sure in his mind, he's thinking a lot of times when you just make the simple play to rim it around that it can get blocked at, uh, uh, at the point. And that's where, again, a lot of the turnovers for Miller sometimes happen is he hangs onto the puck for a little bit too long and tries to make the, the controlled play in in taking that risk instead of simply living to to fight another day but even before that i i don't understand how larkin was just able to carve right through oel for that zone entry and create off the rush like it's from that angle for larkin to have beaten oel and be able to drive in on on delia on essentially a partial break my goodness oel oel looks like in terms of its foot, in terms of his foot speed, Edler at the very tail end of his Canucks career, except Edler at least had the smart, was at least way smarter of a defender in terms of his instincts and was used to being slow at that point. Mm-hmm. So he'd never put himself in those positions to get burned as often. But like, that has to be so the scouting jarring. report now, right? Because now, right now, if you're Dylan Larkin, your coaches have told you you can go wide, even if you don't think you have the angle, you can. You can win on the first step. You can just beat this guy. And and there has to be players now like that that are just going to continuously test OEL because he hasn't shown that he can pass that test. Which is really interesting because last season, for example, at least for the first half of it, I, I think for most of the season as well, I actually felt that as a one-on-one defender off the rush, he was competent. In fact, there were a lot of plays where I'd look at OEL and go, Okay, he's angling guys in a pretty smart uh, way. He's able to get his um his put his stick in a strategic spot. 
And he'd have a lot of those plays where he'd kind of funnel guys to the outside and then rub them out along uh, against the boards. Nothing exceptional, but he was able to lock things down on the rush decently, right? Nothing earth shattering or, or groundbreaking. This definitely wasn't prime Chris Tanev, but as a one-on-one defender, he was pretty good, especially relative to the rest of the blue line. But it's amazing how precipitously we've seen his foot speed fall off in just one year. He looks so, so washed right now, which is so concerning. And it makes me wonder now, even from OEL's situation or standpoint, as a player, how do you adjust your game? How do you start to try and compensate for the fact that you can't really pivot, that you don't have agility? Does that mean you have to kind of do what Edler started doing towards the end of his Canucks career, which is that he would essentially just hang as far back as he could and he'd give uh, opposing puck carriers so much time and space to enter the zone and would just bank on the fact that all I'm going to do is keep them in front of me. I don't care how much time and space I give these attackers as long as I'm in front of them and don't get beat on the outside. Don't get, uh, don't put myself in a position where they can get behind me. That, you know, that was Edler's approach. And it's definitely not ideal because you're then in a spot where you're granting teams easy zone entries. But you almost wonder if you, if OEL has to get to that sort of point just to prevent some of these uh, catastrophic uh, rush breakdowns. Yeah, the bounce back on that contract didn't last as long as many of us thought. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get into when we can expect to see Thatcher Demko and uh, what to expect on the coming road trip when the VanCast returns. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, Harm, the club sent... Spencer Martin down, or at least to put him on waivers with the intent of sending him down if he doesn't get picked up along the way here. Uh, what does that tell us for Thatcher Demko? You'd have to believe he's ready to start on Wednesday, no? I don't know if it's necessarily that soon. Um, but Do you give Delia consecutive starts? Well, I guess if you're on Team Tank, you're not too worried about it. Well, also, it's just one of those, one of those things where, I mean, I mean, we'll see. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe you want to give him an easier break against uh, the Flyers on yeah. Saturday as opposed to <laughs> the Rangers the way they've been rolling now with Vladimir Tarasenko in in the fold as well their power play has been clicking if I uh, recall correctly that team New York is in a, is an absolute offensive juggernaut right now and I don't know if I was in the Canucks position and you're trying to rebuild Demko's confidence get him back on track I don't want to ease him in and do it in an environment against a team like Philadelphia where they don't have any high-end offensive weapons aside from Travis Konechny, right? Like that's a very easy sort of environment for Demko to hopefully 
feel better about his game instead of against the Rangers where that top line, I think that they uh, initially debuted in the Seattle game that I was watching. It was Zibanejad, Panarin, and Tarasenko. Like if I'm that, yeah, you don't I don't want, want to put Demko in a situation necessarily where he's having to face that in his first game back and you maybe sort of kill his, co- kill his confidence and start things on a downer. Uh, not to mention... I would like to see Delia in that game from from a team tank perspective as well. So uh, I I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know what the Canucks are going to, going to do. I don't know what the coaching staff is thinking. But the way I'd be looking at it is give Delia Wednesday, give give Demko a few more days to really get some more rest and get some more practice time in. Feel really good about his body, and then give him an easier start against uh, on, on Saturday against the Flyers. So the Canucks have. Um Half dozen games between now and the trade deadline, which is going to come on Friday the third before a game against the Leafs. So, what do we what are we expecting here in terms of the usage of Demko? Both in terms, I mean, like ultimately, I think you're going to be taking the same approach regardless of what your end game is, right? Sorry, they've got uh, seven games between now and the deadline, six in this month. You know, you want to a you want to rebuild his game and rebuild his confidence and get him back off the injury. But if the trade talk is still out there, you're also trying to showcase him and make sure that everyone else's questions are answered. So, how do you approach his usage going forward here? Yeah, a lot of it has to sort of be dictated based off how he's feeling. I think anytime you have a player coming back from injury, there is often a lag period in terms of when they're physically able to return and when they actually sort of do feel like them feel like feel like themselves again, right? Like for example, when Brock Besser came back, and of course, I think that was a bit of a different story because uh, he um, he came back earlier than expected. I think he was rushed a little bit, but even even with in- injuries, just just in general, guys just. It takes some time to feel like themselves again, get used to game speed. I think as a goaltender, that's going to um, be a big adjustment as uh, as well as even though you're getting practice time here, the game speed at the NHL level is just so quick and getting used to making the reads, right? It's not just, not just about your body as a goaltender and feeling good. It's about be- feeling sharp and, and anticipating so that you're able to position yourself um, in optimal spots, especially in an environment where the Canucks aren't always able to take care of, for example, backdoor plays, uh, cross-seam passes. And so you always have to be worried about that extra threat as a goaltender that's always lingering in the back of your mind. I don't know. I I'd kind of my initial my initial default approach would kind of be to roughly give him and, and not that you'd uh you'd exactly follow this for- formula, but give him roughly two of every three starts. And if there's ever a spot where based off the travel or based off the workload that he feels that to be fresh, that he maybe, you know, whatever he needs, a little bit more practice time with Clark, reviewing tape, whatever it is, you have to be flexible, I think, in in adjusting to Demko's needs. I, I wouldn't be too worried, honestly, about the, you know, having to rush him back and and look great ahead of, ahead of the deadline, just because even if the Canucks are open to the idea of moving Demko there's no rush to get it done ahead of March uh, March 3rd I bet there would be a lot more suitors in uh in the offseason especially with a lot of the Jacob Chikrin rumors lingering a team like uh the Kings for example if they all of a sudden as there's been a lot of smoke uh, around them associated with, with Chikrin if they 
if if that's the guy that they want, uh, LA with Chikrin, then that's a team that's uh, off the table. And all of a sudden, you're not looking at uh, a ton of suitors, especially with, I think, Buffalo has tailed off a little bit. Yeah, they Buffalo's lost three straight as well. And that was another team that you maybe looked at is, okay, do, the, do they have a bit of an outside shot at uh, at making it? making it into the playoffs and could they use a goaltender so i don't think they're necessarily going to be as aggressive at the deadline either so for me my big my bigger focus for from if i'm the canucks is forget about this deadline making sure that he has a great healthy transition for the rest of the season and that by the season's end whether it's even just for yourself feeling confident in him moving forward if you're going to keep him or whether it is ultimately to shop him in the summer, making sure that he ends the season on a high note. And also, if you look at how this team played yesterday, like what what is going through Thatcher Demko's mind right now? Like as bad as it was when he was on top of his game, which wasn't at the start of the year, but even when he was playing as well as he was playing, like what are you thinking right now? And does that factor into your decision-making at all that we need to – you know, like, and you you said that maybe Saturday makes the most sense because it's an easier opponent, but it also gives you a little bit more time to practice and figure some more things out defensively and put him in the right position to have success from from that perspective, just the guys in front of him. For sure. It's, I mean, the environment is what Demko's dealt with pretty much for the entire uh, start of the season until he went down with uh, with injury. The, the, the start had some of the, the worst blown leads some of the biggest defensive breakdowns that was when Miller was sort of not only playing center but he was sort of playing that matchup role and 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 I think put in a position to honestly fail in terms of his skill set what he's good at what his weaknesses are and I I think we've we've also got to be careful yeah we've got some recency bias because they they just got shellacked on uh, on Monday against the Wings but Overall, again, I think they have been defending defending better or at least controlling play from a two-way perspective to the point where, yeah, the goaltenders have had to face some tough chances. But again, last game notwithstanding, I think the process has been a lot better than what it was when Demko was healthy and, and in the lineup. So I wouldn't be too worried about that uh, uh, yet. Luke Shen. So played just over 15 minutes last night. Um, you know, spending time on and off with Oliver Ekman Larson, or sorry, with, uh, yeah, with OEL. As you look at what's ahead for Luke Shen over these final seven games, because it's clear the club wants to move him. And I know there's talk and he wants to stay. Um, you know, I guess I wouldn't be stunned if they wind up extending him just because, you know, that's kind of what this club does. But if they, if to me, the smart play, if they really wanted the player is to get assets and then sign him in the summer. But right now, like, you know, we keep wondering every time we look in the lineup if Luke Shen's in and the event he's being held out to protect him for a trade that's coming. What do you do with Luke Shen? Because he is still your second best defenseman after Quinn Hughes. I mean, is he? Has he been since uh, since December? I, I, I'd probably give that to Ethan Bear, actually. Would you? But, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, the one thing with Shen is I think with the way OEL is playing right now, You've got to separate those two. There's, it just doesn't make any sense to play your best trade asset for the deadline with arguably the worst player on the blue line right now. Again, I'm not saying OEL is the worst player on the blue line overall, but man, he's he's been struggling mightily, and I don't want to don't want to make Shen look worse by putting him in that spot, especially because OEL and Shen are both 
not fleet of foot. They're going to get burned off the rush. And you look at last night, them playing together, outshot 12 to 5 at 5 on 5. High danger chances were 7 to 1, outscored 3 nothing, plus on the ice for a PK goal against as well as a duo. I think you've got to put them in a spot to play with Quinn Hughes. Even though Hughes and Bear have played well together, and I don't think we're necessarily at the point where Hughes needs Shen as his as his best option, for Shen's sake, for the interim, at least ahead of the deadline, I think that's a spot you want to put him in to juice his stock, make sure that teams that are scouting him are, are looking at his recent form, don't sort of look at him in a different spot and second guess, ooh, if he's struggling in this role, do we all of a sudden have question marks about how he'd fit in a different environment with us in our system with who we've got as a, as a potential D partner for, for him. Now, overall, I do think it's interesting to note that Shen's play has quietly fallen off as well. And this is where Vancouver has to sort of take advantage and, and move him for assets instead of signing him. If, you're, if you want to extend him look to re-sign him maybe in the summer. But it's interesting, since December 1st, Luke Shen on the ice at 5-on-5 five five, only controlled 42.5% of shot attempts, mm. 42% of scoring chances, both of which rank 6th among Canucks defenders during that span, and outscored 26-18 to 18 at 5-on-5. Five five. So since December 1st, Luke Shen hasn't really been that good. I think we've overlooked it a little bit because we all love what he brings to the table in terms of his physicality. We all love what he brings to the table in terms of his veteran leadership. Still not still not here to suggest that he's been playing really, really poorly, for example, but we, I think we've seen small examples, subtle plays where he may not have the OEL Myers level of plays where it's like, super obvious that, wow, what kind of breakdown was that? But you have seen, for example, instances where Shen's been caught a little bit off the rush a lot more in, in situations where defenders are, or where attackers are, are able to get behind him and, and create uh, create off uh, odd man rushes. There have been instances where he's maybe bobbled the puck in the offensive zone, pucks hop, hopped over his stick and uh, it's ended in offensive possession. The odd turnover here or there in, in the defensive. And again, I'm not here to suggest that he's been bad, but he hasn't been as good as he was through the first couple months of the season. And even for for how well he played um, o- overall last season, right? And still, I'm at the point where I love Luke Chen. I'd have him, I'd have him on my third pair any day, even if I was a contending team. He's absolutely an everyday defender on a, on a Stanley Cup uh contender in in my opinion but i think we have been turning a blind eye a little bit especially when you look at uh some some of the numbers where hughes's play with and without shen those splits are very interesting as well uh i was curious to kind of look at it 442 minutes together for hughes and shen at five and five they've only controlled 45 and a half percent of shot attempts and 42 percent of uh of expected goals the reason we haven't noticed this is because they've had a lot of fortuitous bounces, right? Their on-ice shooting percentage as a duo is almost 15%. And in goal, as a duo on the ice, they've had a 920 save percentage. So they've been fortunate to get way more saves than any other pairs are getting and way more pucks going offensively than usual. And I think that's masked the fact that, look, it, when, he, when 
Quinn Hughes is on the ice. If you're well below par in terms of controlling shots and, and in controlling chances, you're spending more time in the defensive zone than you are in the offensive zone. I think that's telling that he that you know Shen probably overall big picture isn't um, isn't the ideal partner for him. Even though again, I think they should play at least ahead of the deadline just to juice uh, Shen's value. Yeah, it makes sense because as as you hear the talk, there were some people at one point that thought they might even be able to get a low first for Shen, which seemed awfully high for me. But now, rather than a second, where most people kind of had his value based on the demand two or three weeks ago, now people are talking about a third. So uh, hopefully there is a way for them to boost that value. Um, I want to take a quick break. And when we come back, we've got to get into Kuzmenko and, and what's been happening with him and his usage and Team Tank. Yeah, if you're a, if you're a believer, if that's where you want to be, I think you're in a pretty good spot right now. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Harm, before we get to Kuzmenko, you know, we talked about the PK earlier. What do you make of what we've seen on the power play and its deployment? You know, we, we've we seen a bit of a resurrection in Brock Besser's game. I don't know that he's necessarily been great on the power play, especially where they've got him. Um, you know, yesterday he got fed a, a bunch of times and just refused to one time. He refused to take a one timer. It was like catch and shoot. And by the time he caught it, the goaltender got across. There was just a lot of hesitation there. But, what do you make of what the power play has shown us in the last few games here, the road trip and then last night? Yeah, I think of the road trip, they were pretty productive. I think they had uh, three goals total, mm -hmm. despite not having a lot of uh, attempts, if I recall correctly. So looked pretty good there. But do you like the look of it in terms of how guys are being deployed? Because it's not like they've just replaced one player when they've lost Bo Horvat. There's been a few moving parts. Yeah, I think they're still experimenting and and I'm still waiting to see as well what the most um, dangerous look is because we've seen a lot of times, for example, where when Miller and Besser, for example, or, or Miller and Kuzmenko are are both on the ice, they, they, they sort of sometimes swap, right? Where mm -hmm. that right shot guy, whether it's Kuzmenko or Besser, will play off the flank and Miller will, will, will be in the net front uh, uh, position. I think for me, the interesting thing is going to be to see whether Beauvillier can continue to sort of be effective in that bumper spot because he had a strong start, right? I um, obviously had uh, one power play goal on the road trip and um, and from that bumper spot had another post. If he can be an effective trigger man there, then I don't think the Canucks need to necessarily change a ton in terms of their formation because you can keep Miller on the left flank where I think he's most effective if he still has a left shot one-timer threat to pass to. But if Beauvillier over the long run doesn't prove to be a high-end enough finisher for that, then you have to 
I think totally reconstruct what your look is on the power play and, you, and you're going to have a lot more moving parts. I think despite not scoring for the most part that uh that power play especially towards uh towards some of the opportunities they had in the second period, man, they were really unlucky not to score. Like I know we're looking we're looking at the results and they they were 04 on the man advantage, but there were definitely some encouraging signs. I mean, Brock Besser off the rush essentially like that was a a, a a feed for Miller that he has to bury. He has the whole cage in front of him to sort of um, one time. And that's where even with him sort of finding his game again, for whatever reason, he still has uh, problems with that clinical finishing, that killer instinct. I think sometimes, yeah, I don't know. I'm still trying to make sense of it all. Um, I think it may be time with the way that uh, Besser sort of missed on some of those chances last night to put Kuzmenko back on the first unit and, and experiment uh, with, with him in that sort of spot again. But yeah, I mean, I, I still think that I'd, I'd be looking to continue with Miller on that left flank, Bavillier in the bumper, Kuzmenko at the net front, and sort of keeping that same formation until I get to the point where I know what Bavillier is as, um, um, as, as a finisher. Because if he can't bury chances, then that's where I think you then, again, have to sort of look at reconstructing things. We thought we knew what Andre Kuzmenko was. He signed a, an extension, two years, $11 million. And now all of a sudden, things are changing in terms of how they're using him. He did play sixteen over 16 minutes last night, but he's generally been on a third line. He's on PP2, even though the you know the Horvat trade you'd think might have given him a, a bit of an elevated role. But what do you make of what's happened in the last few games under Rick Tockett and just how he's being handled? Because it went from sky high coming off the extension to very quickly being in the doghouse. Yeah, well, you have to remember, talk is for first priority right now is resetting the sort of accountability and a lot of the defensive habits on this team, and for for that to be effective, at least in in terms of a mindset, even if it doesn't necessarily translate to significantly improved results, that mandate, that culture, that standard has to apply to everybody, right? The top players and players in today's game, I understand as coaches, sometimes you have to treat them a little bit differently, but not when it comes to defensive habits and work ethic. I, I, I remember, you know, being on sports teams where we weren't very good and the coach looked at, you know, our most most offensive gifted players and would kind of give them a pass on their defensive play and it just didn't work, right? New coach comes in a year later and, you know, he's cutting minutes from some of those guys unless they're 100% committed in terms of their engagement and effort, um, not cheating for offense or holding, holding them to that standard. Now, all of a sudden, that creates a sort of environment where you see the top players hustling everywhere. And if you're anybody else in the roster, it's like you feel a pressure that, wow, these guys are, are busting their tails off. I certainly can't do what they do offensively. So I better be on my grind. I can't F this up. Um, and it helps sort of overhaul the mindset and the internal accountability. So I think because of that, Kuzbenko's more so just being made out as an example, because overall for this season, in terms of his defensive play, yeah, he's been far from the worst defender, but he had a, I think a tough initial first stretch under Tockett. And I think at least on my part as well, I, I think I've overlooked his defensive play just a little bit this season. I, you know, I've known that he, you know, his bread and butter definitely isn't on the defensive side of the puck. And he's at least benefited from the fact that he hasn't had some of those egregious turnovers that directly lead to goals against or some horrific back checks. But I remember at the start of the season, 
noticing right from the right from the opener against Edmonton that in defenses on coverage, for example, that like Kuzmenko just kind of stands there at uh, at the point. It's as if he doesn't really know what he's supposed to do, or he he's just not moving his feet or making much of an effort to sort of pick up on guys close quickly. And I think after a certain point, because it's not such an obvious glaring mistake, you just kind of forget about it, especially because it again, it's more of a of a subtle um detail now in terms of Tockett's approach. Again, first game you bench him, I understand. Second game, I understand again why in uh, I believe it was the was it the Islanders one where um where Besser got bumped up. And uh, and had four points. Maybe it was the Devils one. I, I, one of those ones. That again, you understood. And I like that last night. For example, Kuzmenko was going right. I think he was showing some spins, showing some offensive creativity, dri- driving play. The shot shot attempt differential. The scoring chances were all in his favor. Spending most of shifts in the offensive end. He looked dangerous, dynamic offensively, and so. He was uh, he was second among forwards in five and five ice time, right? And it hasn't just been Kuzmenko, right? Because Miller struggled defensively last night, and he was only eighth among uh, Canucks forwards in five and five ice time. I mean, Niels Oman played more than JT Miller at five and five last night. The only forwards who played less than Miller were Drys, Di Giuseppe, Lazar, and Joshua. So I don't mind the the way Tockett has. Um, has been a little bit tougher on Kuzmenko just again because it's like all right you play well now you're going to get your minutes back again. Um part of me is big picture concerned and this was before Tockett came over and before we saw some of these benchings the fact that he has different expectations you just hope that he doesn't beat the creativity out of uh, a player like Kuzmenko and expect everybody to sort of play the exact same way offensively because look Kuzmenko is a bit of a bit of a different player in terms of the chances that he likes to sort of create. Um, and I still think the positives drastically outweigh the negatives. And the last thing that you'd want is for um, talking to try and turn him into a vanilla cookie cutter uh, sort of player to the point where it, it affects his production. And all of a sudden, instead of a 50 point player becomes a 40 to 50 uh, or instead of a 70 point player, he becomes a 40 to 50 point player that uh, that's my big picture p- concern, but I'm not there um, I'm not there yet. And I mean, we did see a payoff, right? Where on Dries' goal, that was a great, smart tip into space to create chaos by Kuzmenko in the neutral zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and like I said, for me, the way Talkett's handled these guys, I don't know that he's necessarily been playing favorites yet. I think he's at that point where A, he wants to learn about you, but B, he doesn't necessarily feel like He's built a relationship with a player or has to wear the baggage of somebody's contract or what's happened previously. He can just kind of make his decisions in game. And I think for the most part, he's been pretty good at it. And I I would imagine that there's a lot of communication going on with Kuzmenko, you know, as best as they possibly can to explain to him where they're at and and what needs to happen. And seeing him get over 16 minutes last night uh, was certainly a positive. Um, Let's talk team tank. As I look at the NHL standings, and by the way, um, Spencer Martin did clear waivers, so he will be sent down to Abbotsford. The Canucks right now in 27th place, 54 games, 46 points. They're one point ahead or behind, depending on how you look at it, with San Jose, uh, which is sitting at 45, uh, Arizona at 44. All have played the same number of games, and then Anaheim, also at 54 games, is at 40 points. 
I'm not sure they're going to catch Chicago or Columbus anytime soon here. But um, some of these teams have been have been winning, and it's been getting the Canucks a little bit closer to the conversation. Yeah, I mean, look at San Jose's four three and three in the last ten. Arizona's four three and three um, in their last ten. Even Anaheim somehow is uh, is five four and in one. And in that time, the Canucks have uh, have continued kind of struggling with uh, with results. And and here's the key, right? It isn't just the art of tanking. Isn't just about losing like like yeah like at the end of the day it is just about losing as many games as as you can but i think the stretch against detroit has proven that some games the head-to-head ones matter a lot more than just losing to contenders for example because you look at these two games against detroit they lost both of them in regulation if we had seen the reverse if the connects had won both of those two games the Canucks would have been sitting at 50 points and the Red Wings would have been sitting at 52. And all of a sudden, the Red Wings would have been in a spot where it's like, oh my goodness, could they, by the end of the season, fall below the Canucks? Mm -hmm. Whereas by losing to them twice in regulation, there's now a 10-point differential. The Canucks aren't going to catch the Red Wings. It's It's as if those two losses officially eliminated Detroit from the tank battle. Right. So that's where you look at this overall stretch. Right. And I I think initially from a tank perspective, at least I was at least, you know, a bit concerned that, oh, oh, okay, the the stretch that they had against those New York area based teams, you know, they forced uh, overtime and got a point against New Jersey. They beat the Islanders. So you go one, one and one against pretty solid teams. I was I was worried there. But then they lost the most important games, the ones that actually mattered against Detroit. And that's where, again, when you look at, for example, Philly coming up on Saturday, when you look at uh, the next month and you have and you play the Ducks twice, when you're going to play Arizona, you're going to play San Jose. There are some really, really important games that you want to circle on the calendar from a tank perspective because those <laughs> four point swings it's are hilarious. massive. It's just hilarious. That's how we're talking about it. They have to lose. They can't pick up a point as opposed to managing your losses and just finding a way to just keep points and uh, just listening to it this way. It's just, and you're right on all of it. You're totally right. And we're all looking at the same games on the scoreboard, right? The four point must lose games. Uh, the next of which is going <laughs> to. Oh, it's so you good. Have to, you, know what, you know what you have to do at this point? Um, man, maybe, maybe not now that I'm thinking about it. Make sure that you don't start Demko against uh, against these bottom feeders. So now, now I'm thinking, do you do you uh, do you wait to to start Demko? Do you wait until uh, until Nashville, the, the the first game of the road trip, or do you even feed feed him against the Rangers? Because, ooh, now now that now it's got me thinking. Although Demko first game back, I'm not expecting him to necessarily steal uh, steal performance, so it may not change anything uh, from that perspective. I think Demko. Feeling good about his game is still higher on my priority list than um than tanking? You know, Come on. No, not that it no. Well, it's just first game back. I don't think he's gonna steal a game for you. I mean, I wouldn't expect. He's probably gonna be working off some uh working some rust off. It's not as if he was playing incredible through um you know, through through this season. But nah, now I'm thinking about it, man. This is this is tough, but big picture, yeah. I mean, if I'm looking at these March games. Yeah, like when you play Arizona, when you play Anaheim, when you play Anaheim again, when you play Chicago, I'm not playing Thatcher Demko in any, any of those games. I'm feeding no. Colin Delia. Yeah. 
Makes sense, especially after the deadline, if he's still here. Um, that is it for us. A fun show as we break down the tank standings. Uh, now, we do want to let you know that uh, so we're going to be going next week on Monday, since the Canucks don't play that day on the 20th, and then we will go the following week on the Tuesday on the 28th. Uh, again, on off days as always. And right now, Drancer and I are planning a live room on the 23rd following the St. Louis road game. So that'll happen sometime around 8 p.m. And um, we'll we'll uh, get everybody to, to weigh in and take your calls and get your feedback at that time. So lots coming up on the VanCast. One we, thing, go ahead. One, one thing quickly. I, I wanted to get your, th- your thought on it now just because my brain's churning. What would you do with Demko? You have to weigh Tank. You have to weigh um, making sure he, he feels good. I think How it, are you handling? To me, it, it really depends on your desire to trade him, right? Um, so if if you are committed to that, and I, I don't know that they are, like the, the way the club is framing it, we haven't said no, right? Like that's kind of what's coming back from the insiders. So they're taking the calls. You and I talked about this before that goaltenders generally don't bring back a haul. So I've said throughout this time, is it a rebuild? Is it a retool? You know, if they truly still believe it's a short-term process, then they should not be trading Demko without a haul. So if that's the case, you've got to build his game up. You know, and and the truth is, if you want to trade him, you've got to build his game up, but you probably change your deployment a little bit based on the types of games that you're talking about, right? So, you know, for me, it, it really comes down to that, that, you know, what is your, what is your commitment level to, uh, you know, to tanking out the season, right? And if you if you're going to keep him, and you, it's it's hard to kind of all of those things all factor into it. So for me, I would want to get his game back. I'd want to get his game back for the purpose of trading him, right? And, you know, if that's the way they're going to go, right? So either way, I think they have to play him. I don't think they can. I I don't think they can slow down here, right? So if if they've made that decision, for me, if if it's a rebuild, I would be trading him. If it's a retool, I'd be keeping him. So if they are committed to retooling and keeping him, then, you know, maybe you do slow it down a little bit. But right now, I just, I get the sense that it, his days might be numbered here and they've got to put him in the best possible value for a trade. Interesting. Right? So like I like I said, I look at the games and, you know, it, it's almost the games where you would expect him to play for tank purposes aren't the games you'd expect him to play for trade purposes. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, because I think you need to show him against better competition at some point. Like you might want to give him the easy games early, but over these seven games, I think you probably want to see him play against some quality teams if the intent is to move him. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, In the meantime, I I gave you our VanCast schedule. Craig Custance and Sean Gentile, welcome uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, their general manager, Don Waddell, to the Athletic Hockey Show USA. Also, Dallas Stars GM Jim Nill joins Pizzo, Granger, and Russo on the roundtable on the Athletic Hockey Show on Wednesday. Uh, as for us, you can follow us uh, at the VanCast on your favorite podcast platform. Please leave a rating and a review. The review can't just be kill an effing penalty. It's got to be a little <laughs> more detailed than that. Uh, even, you know, Jeff Patterson kind of got right to the point there. Uh, hey, uh, you can also get new subscriptions to The Athletic for just $2 per month for 12 months when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast. And as we mentioned, we will be back next week on Monday.